Real quick, my name is Pedro. For those of you who I haven't met yet, I am the community life pastor here uh, at City Life. I've been here for almost three years now, to a year and a half on staff. And so I love this place. I love gathering here. I love that we are part of a community that comes and we honestly try to worship Jesus and get to know him better. Um, but before I really go on to our ver our sermon today, let's take a second and let's pop into our vision minute. Uh, last week we realized that Justin came up here and he talked about the kids ministry, about how there's a need for volunteers, how we want none of our volunteers to uh, feel overburdened, and so we want to be able to schedule people once every month and a half to two months. And so we, Justin put that out there last week to see if anyone had any inkling or if the Holy Spirit was moving any of you guys to serve or to serve specifically with the kids. But we also realized we never gave you any way to respond to that. So my bad, our bad, sorry about that. Justin's not here today. I think he was just too embarrassed to face up to that, but it's okay. No, just kidding. He's at a worship retreat. Um, so this is the way to respond. If you want to serve... Just go to our website at citylifenj.com and go to our staff page. The very top link at the staff page is a connect, connect to us link. Just fill out that form, put children's ministry in there somewhere, and we'll connect you to the right people. Uh, we love our kids' ministry. We want our kids to have a safe place, a place to learn about Jesus. And so, uh, yeah, we want volunteers. And we know that God has, is always putting that burden on other people to talk about Jesus. So if you want to talk about Jesus, if you're not even, if you can only like handle kids, but want to learn how to share about your faith, I had a pastor who used to say that if you can't teach Jesus or talk to Jesus with kids, then you can't do it to adults. So think about it. It's out there. Kids ministry is awesome. It's a lot to deal with, but it is a lot of fun. And so let's transition into today's word. Uh, today we're picking up our Mark series where Justin left off last week. Last week he talked about, uh, he called it the debate. The debate between whether we believe we put ourselves into relationship with God or religion. You know, and we have to settle this debate in our hearts before we move forward, before we experience the deeper things of life here with him. And so this is a debate that we have to know what our answer is. And so um, all week, I couldn't get out. I'm going to break one of our rules. We're preaching through Mark right now. And so I'm going to have to break our rules and read to us a piece from Matthew. I hope that you guys are all okay with that. Uh, we're going to go back to Mark. Mark 7, 14 to 23 is where we're going to be at today. But before we go there, I just felt all week that we had to look at Matthew 5, 1 to 12 really quick. I would love to, to stay there the whole time, but that's not our focus for today. So Matthew 5, 1 to 12 is known as the Beatitudes. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus's most famous teachings, and it's one of the most well-known teachings. And really, the reason why it's so impactful and it's, it's stood the test of time over and over again and is so cherished is because this really is a beautiful teaching that Jesus offers. If we, you can read it. It's up on the screen. You can turn to it on your Bible or your phone. It's actually pretty small, so I'll read it to you. It says, As Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and he sat down. This is Jesus. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the reason why I think this passage is so impactful, it's so profound, not only is it just really nice and comforting, but it is Jesus stating the reality of how God made all things. That a lot of us, we try to be strong, we try to be mature, we try to always be going, but to God, we are blessed when we realize how much we need Him, how much we depend on Him, that we don't have to be all together all the time, but that we are blessed and He can do something for us when we realize it's all about God and His grace. Um, as I also read this, also considering the passage this week, I also realized something pretty counterintuitive and pretty funny, to me at least, because these things that God is saying that you're blessed when you, when you acknowledge them are like all the things that we try not to be. It's all the things that when we actually have to do those things, it's the hardest thing to do. The first one is, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Like, who wants to be poor in spirit? Who thinks that they're poor in spirit? Isn't the goal to be mature and healthy and strong and powerful and witnessing all over the place? And yet he says, blessed are you when you realize how much you need me. He said, blessed are you when you're meek. Meek to me is like one of the first ones of those that goes out the window. Because the very second that you need to practice meekness is the second that it becomes the hardest thing in the world to do. You know, when someone, I just thought of scenarios, like when someone is taking your credit at work, like, oh, are you going to be meek there? Ooh, if someone is yelling at you on the subway, how meek are you going to be in that moment? Like the second that you need to be meek is the second that you say, no, I'm, your anger comes out or whatever. Hunger and thirst. Blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's like, wait, Jesus, you're saying that our jobs are to constantly be hungry and thirsty for you? that we have to put ourselves in a place where we so depend on you that we have to always be wanting more and more, that's contrary to our nature. We want to be satisfied. We want to be fed. We want to feel like we're together. So I really felt today that in today's message is probably the most uh, message for us that I've ever gotten. For our church here as a body, I feel like God is speaking this over to us super profoundly this week is that we need to realize that it's not, that religion is not the answer, but that it's relationship. And so that's what we are really going to be talking about today, is religion or relationship. So let's get back on track. Let's get back to Mark. Let's follow uh, this rule that we're going to. We're preaching verse by verse through Mark so that we can let Mark tell us what to say instead of us just going to Scripture to say what we want to say. And so let's read today's passage. It's Mark 7, verses 14 to 23. Uh, this is also pretty small, too. My bad, I made these. Uh, I'll read it to you. And he called the people to him again and said to them, 
Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house, he left the people, he and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then Mark throws this in there. Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. There's another reason why I think Justin chose not to be here this week. This is a hard passage. This is a heavy passage. Um, but pray with me. I need to pray. I need, I've been praying so much this week to be able to give this message. Uh, so please join me. Lord, I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to be here today. I invite you to be with me, to be communing with me, Lord. Lord, I pray that none of these words are mine, that none of them come from my mouth, Lord, but from your heart. Jesus, we believe that your scriptures speak to us today just like they did when you gave them. So please be faithful to us and help us today. Lord, we love you. We love your kindness. We love your wisdom. Please do your work today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's recap a little bit, because today's passage really is just a continuation of last week. And if you missed last week, then let's catch you up a little bit. So these men, uh, called the Pharisees and the scribe, come from Jerusalem, and they decide that they are just going to be around Jesus to catch him anytime they think he's falling. You know, chapters earlier, much earlier, chapter 2, which was for us probably like 18 months ago, I'm not sure at this point, uh, the Pharisees said that they made, their, they made the decision that they were just going to oppose Jesus to the point where their mission for him was to kill him. The scripture says to utterly destroy him. That's what they wanted to do to him. So they're just around him any chance they get, looking at what he does and blaming him for every little thing that they think that he's doing. And so last week they see his disciples not cleaning their hands before they eat, and because they only live in religion, they say, oh, you're not following our rules, and so your hands, the food that you eat, make you dirty. They make your insides completely dirty. And they say, basically what he's saying is, Jesus, you and your disciples are way too dirty to be able to talk about God and tell us, teach us his word. And then Jesus, in one verse, completely, in the same, in the way that he does all the time, he just completely disarms them. He completely destroys their rationale. In, ver in verse 8 of chapter 7, he says, um, Tony, if you can help me out, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So they went up to him and said, Jesus, you're not following these traditions of the elders. You know, that's what they called it. That's the title that they gave it. That was the religion that they put into it, the PR and the branding that they put around keeping people under bondage. It's like the tradition of the elders. Ooh, that sounds really good. If we had like a document called the traditions of the elders here, I'm, I'm sure that would look pretty nice. But Jesus is able to take, to strip it of all of that fakeness, to strip it of all of the religion, 
And what does he say that is what they're doing? He said that he's, they are leaving God's commandments for the tradition of men. Jesus doesn't even call it what they call it. He just utterly just says, no, there is no ground in this. You just follow what you want to follow. In the process, you leave God's commandments. And so that's the danger a lot of times that religion, that even when we put good things around God's laws, we're adding to what he said, and then in the process, we're just leaving him all the time. And so uh, the heart that's under religion does not know God and is far from him, and that's the danger. But going on into today, you know, one of the things that I really love about Jesus' talk right now is that when he's talking to the people, he stops and he says, hear me, all of you understand. You know, in the other Gospels, Jesus often says, like, verily, verily, or truly, truly, and that's a signifier for everyone. Okay, really pay attention to this next part, because this is really, like, the thesis of what he's saying. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, hear me, all of you. This is how much Jesus cares about us getting this debate right. Is religion or relationship? Jesus wants us to get it. And then the disciples later on, they see, okay, <laughs> he said, hear me, everyone, and they don't get it. So they go up to him and they ask him. And then from this point on, their like, real teaching behind this is he's just giving it uh, privately to the disciples. And so in verse 18, we, we're going to go to our first point of the day, which is the image of the stomach and the heart. You know, in verse 18, Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? You know, before, before we go on to the main part of this, I love how witty Jesus is at times. I love how when proud people come up to him, he just completely subverts their expectations. Picture this with me. You get this group of old, grumpy, serious men from Jerusalem, the guys that think that they are, they are it. They're the top percentage of biblical scholars at their time. They say, hey, Jesus, you are so dirty. You can't talk about God. Your disciples are disgusting. You guys can't talk about God. And you know what Jesus answers them? He starts talking to them about poop. Like, how, uh, how funny is God? Like, one of the things that I took from that this week is that I know without a shadow of doubt in my head that sometimes God sees our religion and he just chuckles at how serious we think we are about how extra we're being with him. Is that God doesn't, God, I'm sure he like chuckles at times for us like, oh, you don't need to do that. It's okay. Just be with me. Have a good time with me. God is the God who, in, who invented all good things. He's the one who invented laughter. He's the one who invented joy. So it's okay. I give you permission. All of the pastoral authority in me gives you permission to have fun with Jesus this week, to enjoy your faith, to enjoy the fact that you believe that you have the one who has all the answers. Like, goodness, we need to be able to enjoy God in our life and as a community. We don't have to be the ones that are always put together. You know, one of the reasons why I think this message is really for us is because we, in this culture, in our culture, and in the culture around us, we just want to be put together so much all the time. You know, and that's religion. We want to look proper. We want to act properly. And it's okay when you're not okay. Jesus knows this. He knows how much we need him. And he's willing to do little jokes like this, do little jabs to see if it's going to actually penetrate into our hearts. 
Like, God loves you. It's okay. Take a breath right now and thank Jesus for his goodness and his mercy. Because without it, we would just be totally lost. But getting back into the heart and the stomach, biblically speaking, the Jewish worldview, the hearts and the stomach were places of uh, the house desire. You know, in the Jewish world, the heart, like it is in our culture still, this has remained, the heart is where we say the soul lives. It's where our desires, our good desires are. It's where our love of God lies. It's where our character comes out of. It's where a lot of these good things about us, some of the best parts of us, our souls, what God created and what Bible says that he loves, that's where our heart is. And our stomach is usually known as a center of play, that houses a lot of evil, sinful desires, like gluttony and vain. A lot of that, in, biblically speaking, comes out of the stomach. It's like our primitive, visceral desires and reactions, our survival tactics. That, we think of that from our stomach. But that's not the only. God gives us good desires out of our stomach, too, like to be fed and to be satisfied and to be warm and to be cared for. All of that also comes out of our stomach. So what Jesus is saying here is just, that, is just this. Hey, when you put anything into your body, it just goes in your stomach and it comes out. That's how it's made. Nothing changes the condition of your heart. Nothing changes the condition of your soul. Because as we're going to talk about later, guess what? Our hearts and our souls are already pretty dirty. They're pretty worn out. They're pretty tired. They're full of all of these sins that contradict God's nature. See, the faulty thinking that the Pharisees had was that they were okay or at least that they could build a religion that made them act okay. And Jesus' condemnation of them was often like, you whitewashed tombs. You look so pretty on the outside, but your inside is just so gross. And so that is, that is really what religion does, is that it really takes us out of our heart, and that it takes us into just behaving on the surface. And so we don't have to be people that do that. Because God already knows where our hearts are. He knows where each single one of our hearts are and where each one of our hearts are susceptible to sin more than others. And so, yeah, this is a hard message. This isn't a message that we love to hear. And if we weren't going verse by verse, this is maybe a passage that we would skip because it's just so uncomfortable. Now, my goal in my head all week has been, okay, I'm going to hold us all down until we're all squirming and feeling uncomfortable, and then we're going to invite Jesus in here to see what he does. Because we all, we need to acknowledge that we are all, we're not okay, but that God knows that. That's why I read Mark 5, uh, Matthew 5. You see, blessed are you when you realize that you're poor in spirit, because all of us are poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you mourn, because God will comfort you. You know, when you're hungry and you're thirsty for righteousness, that's when God will, will feed you. That's when he'll satisfy you. When you're meek and when you're humble and when you're a peacemaker, you know, that's when God really is able to step in. And that's what religion keeps us out of. But let's go, moving on, let's go into our list of sins. This, to me, has been super eye-opening a lot this week because I grew up reading the Bible, I've read the Bible, I went to seminary, and I've heard, the, I've heard lists like this before, but I couldn't actually sit down and give you the definitions of some of them. 
And so let's spend a minute just to talk about some of these. You know, I heard it said that, uh, verse 21, this comes out of verse 21. It says, uh, for from within, out of the heart of man come this. So all of this is in our hearts. Let's not pretend like we don't have these sins. Not all of them might be your biggest weakness, but we all have these in some form or another. And so evil thoughts is kind of like the overarching category, and then all of these are evil thoughts that come out of them. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is one that probably a lot of people know, but it's really any inappropriate sexual relationship with anyone outside of a God-honoring marriage covenant. It's when you, when you practice sexual immorality, you're dehumanizing someone just for your own needs. You strip them of their value, and you strip them of... Uh, they're the person who God has made them to be. And so that's why that's a big deal to God. Theft. Theft is a, pretty, is a pretty common one, you know. You see something and you take it in the wrong means. And that's kind of, the idea there is you're like living outside of God's boundaries. That he hasn't meant for you to have that right now, but some, you want it and so you take it. Uh, adultery is any physical, sexual, or even an, an inappropriate emotional relationship with someone outside of a, mar a God-honoring marriage covenant. That one is a big one for God. Over Israel's history, we always committed adultery against him by turning to other gods. Uh, coveting. Coveting is really interesting to me because coveting is... So, uh, some of these are, oh, you want to you get something, but they all have different angles. Coveting is, I want what Roe has, but it's not only because of what that thing is, but I want Roe to not have it, and so I'm going to take it from him. Like, oh, that one's, that, one's pretty, that one's pretty nasty. Wickedness. Wickedness is a love or a desire for evil things to happen to another person. Is that you so want someone to suffer that you hope and you imagine and you come up with scenarios and conversations with your head, in your head, where that person goes through something pretty evil. Uh, deceit, we know, is acknowledging, uh, is agreeing with something that isn't the truth. And, you know, and God's nature is truth, so that is opposed to him even at his very nature. And sensuality is maybe the one that I, I definitely learned the most about sensuality this week that I didn't, because I never knew what it actually meant. And sensuality is when you give in to your senses. You know, a lot of sin falls under sensuality because, oh, I want, I have a desire to watch porn, so I watch it. Or I have a desire to eat and eat and satisfy my belly, so I eat and I practice gluttony and I never control myself. Or I, give, I want to touch something, so I go out. Or I want to feel something, I go out and I have sex. That is giving into your senses. It's when your senses and your body and your desires uh, lead your heart instead of the other way around. Envy, envy means, literally means I, and it's that you let your eyes control the desires of your heart. Like you see something that you want, and your heart yearns for it just because you see it and you think it looks great. And so you want it, and you want to take it illegitimately. Slander is when you talk against someone behind their back, when you spread lies about someone. And pride is, pride is two things. Pride is either having too high a view of yourself, thinking that you're better than other people or that you're better than God. But it's also the opposite. It's having a low view of yourself. Because when we really have dangerously unhealthy low self-esteem, you're telling God that he made a mistake when he made you. And God doesn't make mistakes, and he especially doesn't make mistakes with the people that he makes. 
And so pride is a tricky one because it's not just the really haughty person, but it's also the person who hates themselves. And foolish, I actually love that foolishness is the last one on this list because it makes so much sense to me. Foolishness is having, uh, is thinking, it's a couple things, it's thinking that you know better than God or having no thought about your life at all. It's like you're just drifting aimlessly, you have no dreams, you have no visions, you give no thoughts to the things in life that are important. You're kind of just existing and going through the motions. Uh, but it's also thinking that you know better than God. And how dangerous is that? How dangerous is it when we think that uh, we know better than God? And so with this list, it's, pretty, it's a lot of things. There are other lists in Scripture that list other sins. But for some reason, a conversation about cleaning your hands and eating led Jesus into this talk about all this stuff that's on the inside, all of this sin that's in our hearts. And remember, the point here is for us to realize that this sin is already in us, that we are already pretty defiled, that each one of us standing up against God, we're going to look pretty dirty. We're going to look pretty disgusting. But if not for relationship with the Lord, then we stand no chance. And so let's do two things with this list, because we're not given this list just to, beat up, just to beat ourselves up over them. We're given this list for two reasons. Like, one... The truly awesome thing, and I don't mean awesome, just like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, the real definition of the word awesome that leaves me in awe when I think about this is that Jesus came and he committed none of these sins. That in 30-something years of his life, he was always a safe place for women. That he never looked at anyone else's things and wanted them. That he never wished evil on anyone. That he never had, shoot, Jesus, the Son of Man, he was never proud. You know, Philippians tells us that he did not even consider equality with God something that he needed to chase. Like, oh, what a humble man. What an awesome man, you know. The reason why we really believe in Jesus is in part because of this list, because he came and did what none of us ever could. He came and lived a life like, like God really wanted us to. You know, part of our, in our, we're going through the Mark series here on Sunday, but we just finished Mark in our MCs. And one of the things that we were trying to do during that MC is, like, put real skin behind Jesus. Like, make him a real man to you guys, that he actually came here and lived here. He interacted with people he needed to eat. He needed to use the bathroom. He understood all these things. But, but then when we talk about him in this terms, it's like, oh, he is just also otherworldly. He's just so incredible that he could come and not commit any of these. He must have been special. Now, um, a couple months ago, I had this conversation with a lady who was really drunk and really angry. And the one question that she kept on asking me, because later on into the discussion, I told her I was a pastor. Later on, the one question that she could not stop asking me was, why Jesus? There have been thousands of people before him thousands of people after him, and still to this day there are people who claim to be Jesus. There are a few in America who have a whole following at saying that he is Jesus. And so why him? Part of that answer is because of this list, that we have to acknowledge that we fall on these all the time, but that Jesus never did. And let's remember Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is like the mirror that we, I want to go back to all the time today. Like, blessed are you when you realize that we're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you realize how much you need the Father.
Blessed are you all the time when God is doing something real in your life and we acknowledge it. And then the, the second thing that we need to do with this list is that we need to realize that none of these sins, no one can ever make you commit any of these sins. You know, that might seem like a statement that you have to think through a little bit or that you know, you're like, mm, I don't know. But no one, no situation, no person, no experience could ever make you fall into any one of these sins. And the picture here goes along with Jesus' teaching because it's never what goes into a person's body, it's never what happens around us that make these sins come out, but that these sins are always here and then they are exposed. You know, it's kind of like celebrities or politicians when they act out racistly. Racistly? I don't know if that's a word. When they do racist things or when they say something stupid and they're like, oh, wait, 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 no, but I'm not a racist. A lot of sometimes it's because they're being religious and they're just always constantly have to putting up this facade. And then also for some people, I genuinely believe that they didn't even know that it was in their heart. Now, it's up, it's up to each person to decide. Some people mess up a lot more than just, oh, I didn't know that was there. But uh, yeah, is that it, all of situations... Um, when these sins come out, are just showing you what's already in there. And so the biblical worldview says that if you believe in the picture of man, of manhood, of womanhood, the picture of the Bible says that, oh, we're, we're pretty dirty. We're not okay. You know, one of the major questions for people who say they don't believe in God is, how can God let this happen? But that's because they think, that's because the worldview says, okay, man is pretty good. We can be good or bad. But it's not like, but our view is, no, we're always pretty wretched. And it's not God making us do this to one another, but it's actually just you and I hurting one another all the time. And so we need to realize that whatever sin comes out of your life, it's coming from someplace in your soul. It's coming from a wounding or a past experience, or something that you've been taught, or something that Satan has made you believe over and over and over again in your life. But thank God that we are not left there. Amen? And so I, don't have, I didn't have a personal story that I felt really led into today's pastor. I mean, I can tell you about it multiple times that I sinned. Just this week, I, I realized that I was committing some of these sins, and I had to go and confess to two people here in our church about it, because I just could not stand up here and talk about it if I wasn't doing it myself. And so I really wanted to find a person in the Bible that, to me, perfectly exemplified this, this life. And I searched and I searched, and I just went to the person. I think that Jonah is one of the most real people in all of Scripture. I think that his story is such a picture of who we are, and it, it, to me it's not, even, it's not even up for debate. You know, we, most of us, if you don't know Jonah's story, you might have heard parts of it, because it's a famous story. It's, it's the story about the guy who was a prophet. God told him to go to Nineveh, which was seen in their day. It was the ugliest, dirtiest, most evil city in the whole world. Jonah wanted nothing to do with Nineveh, so much that he abandoned God, or at least tried to, and he tried to sail as to the far end of the world. You know, it says Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain. That's pretty much as far as you could go in that time. And so we see Jonah, we see him constantly fighting God, fighting what God is telling him to do. And at the very end, God puts him in the, in the fish's belly, and he gets spit out in Nineveh. He goes and preaches the worst, lamest sermon of all time. 
practically, it was seven words. His sermon is seven words long. And somehow God turns seven words into an entire evil city turning to God. Like how amazing. God works in spite of us sometimes. And at the end of the story, Jonah goes up to a mountain because he is so excited to see Nineveh get destroyed. He, that sounds crazy, but he so hated them that he went up to a mountain to see the whole city burn. And when he saw that the city, that God had spared them and that their repentance was genuine, he just gets so mad. And, his, and, story, and Jonah's story ends with him in utter despair. He says, like, God, I knew you would be good. That's why I didn't want to do this. It's like, oh, man, what a picture of humanity. To me, it makes the story, Jonah's story, even better because Jonah 1 isn't the first time he's mentioned in Scripture. Jonah's actually mentioned one other time, and he was mentioned in 2 Kings 14. And in 2 Kings, God tells him to go to the king of Israel to tell him to reestablish their border. And guess what? He does it. He gets one verse in 2 Kings because that was something that he was telling God that he, would, he was willing to do. It's like, oh, you, wanna, you want me to go to my people and tell them, okay, I can do that. The second jo God asked Jonah to do something that broke his religion, that broke his agreement with what God was allowed to ask him, he said, no, I'm out of here. I don't want any of this. And so that's really, like, Jonah is such a perfect picture of religion versus relationship. That this man who was a prophet, who's supposed to be the best of us. He was supposed to be the one that would shout at the king and tell him to get his act together. That he had so much religion around his heart that uh, he would not let God tell him what to do when it made no sense to him, when it was the exact opposite of what he wanted to do. You know, the last point with this is that religion really does two things. Religion tells God who we are and what we're willing to do for him. And religion also tells God who he is and what he can do and say to us. You know, that's really the danger of religion, is that we put ourselves in a place where we tell God what he can do and what he can't do, what he can say to us. We think that we're so modern, we think that we're so evolved as people, our, our culture, and not just that culture, but our culture also, we're like, God, we put walls around him all the time and we forget that God is just saying, hey, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you don't have all the answers. Blessed are you when you let me take care of you. That's really the essence of Mark, Matthew 5. And so I'm done with the holding us down. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to invite Jesus into this to see what he did, how he broke us through. And really, I want to turn to the Old Testament. This isn't a New Testament promise, but a promise he gave us in Isaiah 29. If we can read that. Isaiah 29 says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. See, the promise that God gives to us, the way that he said that he would fight our religion, is that he would come, and he would shower us with love, and he would do amazing things around us. Sorry. 
and that in Jesus, wonder upon wonder was shown to us. And he just massages away all of the rules that we put around him. He just breaks down our walls just by loving us, by showing his grace, by healing our wounds, by taking care of us where we're not okay. So Matthew 5, remember, blessed are you when you realize that you're actually poor in spirit, because God can do something. Blessed are you when you mourn, because God can comfort you. You know, I love that foolishness was the last one on the list. And God, how foolish is it for us to ever put walls around God, to think that anything that we could do could ever hold them. He's just like Superman from the, from the movie Men of Steel, when he's like, you can't control me, you just can't. We can't control God. We can't put him into what we think he should do or what we think that he should do, because then he'll just start talking to us about poop and he'll just revert all of our expectations of him. So let's just worship a little more and realize today that we need him more than you ever have, that life isn't what it should be without him. And it's not what God meant it to be without him. And there's a lot more that we can talk about. We spend the rest of our lives dissecting what mercy really is. And thank God for his mercy because or else none of us really should ever be here. All right, so let's worship. Thanks, Pastor.